What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. Jalen Tully, and you're listening to J Talks. If this is your first time tuning in, then welcome. If it's your sixth time tuning in, then welcome back. Each time I sit down to record, each time I sit down to brainstorm topics for the upcoming week, I always tell myself that I'm going to try and be a little bit more positive, bring a little bit more of a happy and uplifting, uplifting atmosphere to the podcast every single week. I always want to try to incorporate easier to talk about subjects, things that are a little bit more funny, a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit easier to digest. And I always tell myself I'm going to try and do that. And then when it actually comes time to record, it actually comes time to look at the current events from the past week and think about what I actually want to talk about or need to talk about. It's just so hard because every week there's so much fucked up shit that happens in this country. I don't think you guys realize how hard it is to look back in news headlines or look back in what was trending on Twitter in the past week and actually find good things to talk about. It's so rare. Like I got so lucky with that Bernie shit last week. I usually don't find things that positive to talk about and things that genuinely make me that happy to talk about on the podcast. I'm sure you guys know. I mean, I'm sure you guys get it. You guys know how exhausting it is to go on Twitter, go on CNN, go on the Washington Post or not the New York Times. New York Times is trash. But to go on all of these news outlets, go on all these social media websites and just see nothing but negative news, especially in terms of a lot of social and political issues currently going on. So I truly will put more effort into making this a more lighthearted, a more positive space in terms of the stuff I talk about, the stuff that you have to sit down and listen to every single week. But unfortunately, that will not be this week because we have some really tough stuff to talk about this week. Really disturbing footage from Rochester PD was released at the beginning of the week. And you might have seen it. You might have heard about it. You might not have seen it. If you want to go find it, go ahead. It is super disturbing to watch. It's it's blatant police brutality against a child. From what I gathered, I saw that the nine-year-old child was experiencing a mental health crisis, which resulted in her not only making threats on her own life, but her mother's as well. And that was when the police were called with the hopes of them being able to de-escalate the situation. Obviously, she was experiencing a moment of extreme emotional distress. And once officers got on the scene, she was being oppositional. She was screaming. She was crying. She was yelling for her father and they finally had gotten her into the cruiser. And this is where the video starts up. She is handcuffed and in the back of the cruiser, she's repeatedly saying, I wanna see my father, where's my dad? And she is very, very clearly a child that is currently undergoing emotional, physical, and mental distress. She is very clearly, I mean, a a nine-year-old child having a temper tantrum and rightfully so, reasonably so. She very clearly has absolutely no idea what's going on. Officers are quarreling with her. They're retorting to her comments that, you know, she wants to see her dad. She wants to see her dad. And there's a female officer standing at one door and a male officer at the other door. And the body cam footage is actually coming from the male officer's body cam. So they not only have her already handcuffed and in the back of a police cruiser, but they also have her boxed in with two officers keeping her in the car. And instead of closing the door and finishing to carry out the rest of the call and perform their civic duty as fucking police officers, the female cop asks the male cop, should I pepper spray her? To which the male cop replies, just spray her at this point. And not one, but both of them actually pepper spray her in the face. And as she is screaming, begging for them to wipe her eyes, because keep in mind, she is handcuffed. They then did make the decision to close the doors and leave her in the cruiser. And at the very end of the video, the male cop puts his hand on the trunk of the car, on the trunk of the cruiser, and says, unbelievable, as if the behavior of a child who didn't understand what was going on around them, who didn't understand why they were being treated this way, is unbelievable, and not the abhorrent behavior of grown cops 
who are not able to de-escalate a situation with a nine-year-old that's experiencing distress. I don't even know where we go from here. And I say that not because I can't think of a solution. I say that not because there isn't a solution. I say that because there is a solution. And people don't care. People are able to watch videos like these. People are able to not only understand and see the fact that police officers kill someone almost every single day in this country, not only are they able to watch video after video that comes out probably a month, every other month, there's a viral video that comes out of someone getting murdered by police, usually a person of color. People are able to watch that. People are able to participate in the society where it's very obvious that police officers abuse the power that they have in society and the power dynamic that they have within their communities. And they're able to say that nothing needs to change. People are able to watch a nine-year-old girl be submitted to cruel and unusual punishment because that's what that was. That's exactly what that was. They didn't have to pepper spray her. If you watch the videos or even if you just listen to what I just said, you know they didn't have to pepper spray her. This was purely for their own enjoyment. This was purely because they wanted to. How do you reform that? How do you reform that? And this is what I was getting at because all last summer, all last summer, people said, oh, you can't say defund the police. You can't say abolish the police. That's too incendiary. That's too aggressive. That's too progressive. You can't get moderates and Republicans on board with that. You can't say things like defund the police. Those are fighting words. Those are oppositional words. People spent all summer saying that. People spent all summer devaluing and undermining everything that the Black Lives Matter movement was trying to say when it comes to police reform. And now we're sitting here looking at another case of police brutality committed against a child because let's face it, this most definitely is not the first time this has happened. We're sitting here looking at yet another case of police brutality and you can bet your ass that once again when people are going to try and bring this to the forefront and use this as a way to say that we need to reform our police departments, we need to change how policing is done in this country, we need to make this country safer for not just black people, not just people who experience mental health crises, not just people of the LGBT community, we need to make this country better for policing for everyone because police are killing everyone. And I don't know how it's so hard for people to understand that, that you can't reform that. You can't reform this system. You cannot reform a system that not only is so inadequate that your officers cannot even figure out proper de-escalation tactics when it comes to dealing with a very emotionally distressed nine-year-old, but those same officers will feel a need to handcuff that nine-year-old, put her in the back of a police cruiser, torment her, undermine her feelings, make her so much more confused in the situation that she is already in, that she has already been subjected to, the pain that she has already been subjected to, and on top of that, the nail in the fucking coffin that this is not a system that we can reform. This is not a system that we can build off of and make better. They pepper sprayed her in the face. And as she begged and cried and screamed for them to wipe her eyes, they slammed both of their doors in her face and walked around the car, exasperated that they had to deal with her. Unbelievable, he said. As if pepper spraying a nine-year-old child in the face was an inconvenience in his day. As if he'd rather be dealing with anything else. And if you remember from the beginning of this segment when I first started giving information on this whole story, this is the Rochester, New York Police Department that we're talking about. Just last summer, there was footage of them murdering Daniel Prude, who was the man who was experiencing a mental health crisis, and Rochester PD put a hood over his head and he ended up suffocating. <sighs> How many times? I think the most disheartening thing about this is what the most disheartening thing about the Sandy Hook school shooting was. If we can't even dedicate ourselves to making this country safer and better for children, if we can't even decide that children's welfare, children's health and safety and their lives are worth saving, it makes me so hopeless for a better tomorrow. It makes me so hopeless that anything will change. And I hate being like that. I hate being so negative. I hate telling myself that nothing is ever going to get better. That's not the type of person I am. That's not the type of person I like being. But it is so hard when 
you're able to look at an event like Sandy Hook, where 20 five and six year olds were mowed down in their classrooms, where you're able to watch a video where a nine year old girl is handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser, screaming, terrified for her life, and she gets pepper sprayed and left in a car to suffer, I guess. The fact that we can even watch things like this happening to adults, the fact that we can even watch police brutality being committed against adults and fathers and brothers and mothers and grandmothers, the fact that we can watch it happening in those instances is deplorable enough and unforgivable enough. But the fact that we can watch it happen to our children, the fact that we can watch it happen to a third or fourth grader and turn around and shake our fists to the world and say that nothing needs to change, and I'm going to put it out there now before anyone takes the liberty of even thinking, well, not all cops. Not all cops. You can't say abolish the police. You can't say defund the police. You can't say fuck the police. You can't say all cops are bastards because it's not all cops. My response to that is if you watch the video, there were like seven uniformed officers <laughs> standing around the car, surrounding the car. Just standing there. So most of them, you could hear them mumbling and grumbling about the girl, much like the male cop whose body cam footage we were watching was. If you cannot calm down an emotionally distressed nine-year-old, you shouldn't be a cop. If you feel a need to handcuff an emotionally distressed nine-year-old because you cannot calm her down, you shouldn't be a cop. If you feel a need to pepper spray a handcuffed nine-year-old who's already in the back of a police cruiser, you shouldn't be a cop. Almost just as importantly, if you're able to sit back and watch one of your fellow cops do this shit, you shouldn't be a cop. If your reaction to fear is murder or violence, you shouldn't be a cop. And if your reaction to black people is fear, then you shouldn't be a human being. I don't, I'm not arguing about that with anyone else at this point. I, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to clarify that stuff. We shouldn't have people who even think committing these kinds of atrocities against a child are appropriate in the first place. Time and time again, as stuff like this continues to happen, I am just further reminded of the fact that we really cannot reform or build off of the system that we already have in order to build a better one. This might be a really radical opinion, and honestly, I am perfectly okay admitting that. But to me, I genuinely think the only solution to this problem at this point would be firing every single police officer in the country, slashing every single police department's budgets, and rehiring officers with full background checks, full mental evaluations. I also think police officers should be obligated to take at least a couple of social worker or psychology courses at a community college before entering the force. Before any cop even spends one day on the police force, they need to take some sort of discrimination or de-escalation training. I also think police officers should be forced to get to know the members of their community. Obviously, if you're in a city, that would be a little bit harder. And this one may sound stupid, but I was actually listening to a New York Times The Daily podcast episode about how when police officers and other members of law enforcement come from the communities that they serve, they are much more likely to handle things much better. They are much more likely to be better at de-escalation because you, you know those people and you're closer with them and you care about them. When you just pluck cops fresh out of a police academy and just plop them in a random city or town, especially if that city or town is predominantly or majority-wise a different race than they are, you're not going to have someone who's able to resonate with and care about those individuals as much as you would someone if you just plucked them from that community or the next town over in the first place. So I also think something like that should be implemented. And then, and then obviously I mentioned it earlier, but we need to slash the everlasting hell out of these police budgets. There's no reason that NYPD needs to be driving Teslas through the streets of Manhattan. Why does LAPD have a yearly police budget of $1.189 billion, billion with a B, when Flint, Michigan hasn't had clean water since 2014, and it would only cost $55 million to fix all of the pipes there and provide everyone in that town with clean, safe drinking water. Which, I'm not a mathematician, but just off the top of my head, $1.1 billion is 20 times. 55 million. That means we could fix the pipes in Flint, Michigan 20 times over. 
with what LAPD spends on their police forces every single year. And honestly, at this point, this is something that I have very little patience in me when it comes to arguing about or educating people about because I genuinely and truly do not know how you can look at these numbers, how you can look at these statistics, how you can look at the violence that police in this country perpetuate and propagate every single year. I don't know how you can justify this and how you can think that nothing needs to change and nothing needs to evolve. And the arguments for this shit pisses me off more than anything. The people who hop online or hop into a Reddit forum or stand up in front of a crowd of people and spew the same lies and spew the same toxic rhetoric time and time again after things like this continue to happen each and every day in this country. The first one, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, abolish the police. Those organizations and slogans are too aggressive. They're too violent. Are they more violent than grown police officers pepper spraying a handcuffed nine-year-old in the face? Are they more violent than National Guard members tear-gassing a violin vigil for Elijah McClain over the summer? Are they more violent than police officers kneeling on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds? Are they more violent than police officers killing Tamir Rice at a park he was playing at within two seconds of arriving on the scene? Are they more violent than Trayvon Martin being stalked and killed over Skittles in his front yard? Are they more violent than Breonna Taylor bleeding out in the hallway of her home for 20 minutes after she was shot on a faulty no-knock warrant in the middle of the night? Whenever white people, conservatives, people who don't believe in Black Lives Matter, I don't even care at this point, whenever anyone asks about questions of violence about these movements and about these slogans, it just further reminds me that white people are so out of touch with the realities that black people live in each and every day in this country. You're asking me about violence? You're asking Black Lives Matter about violence? You think stealing a couple lamps from Walmart, breaking a couple windows in a storefront is more violent than everything that is continuing to happen against black people? Every single crime, every single hateful act, every single racially motivated crime is more violent than all of this? All throughout the 1960s, Birmingham, Alabama was actually temporarily nicknamed Bombingham. And this is attributed to the fact that all throughout this time period, black homes, churches, establishments were being bombed. I'm sure a lot of you recall the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in which four young black girls died in 1963. That was Birmingham. Yet, whenever interviewers would have time to sit down with Martin Luther King or Angela Davis, they'd question them. Ask them why their movements were so violent. Ask them why they encouraged violence in the streets. Ask them why they were protesting. Ask them why they had these aggressive and abhorrent slogans. Uh, there's a Bon Jovi song, and it's called The More Things Change, and the hook goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And when I, when I think of that, when I hear that, the first thought that comes to my head is our very own American society. The more evolved we become, the more equality we achieve, the more equity we hold onto, the more justice we grab hold of the further we're reminded of how deep ingrained racism in America is, the more we're reminded that no matter how far we come, no matter how many marches and protests take place, no matter how much congressional legislation is signed into law, that underlying oppression, that underlying ignorance, that underlying inequality, it seems like it'll always be there. So with that being said, if you think Black Lives Matter is violent, if you think slogans like defund and abolish the police are violent, what are you willing to call every single heinous act, every single heinous crime, every single perpetration of oppression against black people in this country? What are you willing to call that then? What are you willing to label that as? If Black Lives Matter is violent, then surely, surely all of this must be way worse in your eyes. This is the last one I'm going to do, I promise, and then we're going to move on from this. And this also happens to be my favorite one as well, because it just shows such a lack of awareness when it comes to the world around you. When people respond to me saying abolish or defund the police, when people say respond to me saying a cab, well, if you abolish or defund the police, if you get rid of the police, who's going to save you if you're being raped, robbed, murdered, insert any crime? And it's just, it's, it's mind boggling because just a mere... 12 hours ago, I woke up on a Monday morning and had to watch a minute and a half long video of police tormenting and pepper spraying a handcuffed nine-year-old. 
And you think I'm going to trust these people to save me? You think I'm going to trust these people to defend me against a rapist? You think I'm going to trust these people to get my possessions back if I'm robbed? You think I'm going to trust these people to save my life if I'm getting murdered or currently bleeding out? You think I'm going to trust these people with my safety, with my health, with my well-being? They couldn't even ensure that to a nine-year-old girl. You trip in thinking I'm going to trust these people to save me. You wonder why black people don't trust the police. You wonder why black people run if they're in a confrontation with police. You wonder why black people try and flee when they're getting chased by police. Well, if he hadn't run. Well, if he hadn't resisted. Well, if he hadn't fought back. Well, if he hadn't done this. If you're in a situation where you're terrified for your life, you are put into a flight, fight, or freeze mode. If you're put in a position where your life is potentially on the line, what are you going to do? That is what happens with Black people. That is what goes through Black people's body when we are in an altercation with police and emotions start to escalate or things start to get a little heated and then you are actually put in a situation where you say, this could actually potentially be my last moment on earth. If this cop woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, if this cop is racist, if this cop doesn't trust me, if this cop has had bad interactions with Black people in the past, any number of circumstances, you don't know how that cop woke up that morning. You don't know if they woke up and their coffee was made perfectly and their bagel tasted incredibly delicious and they were ready to go into the world and stop crime and make the world a better place. Or you don't know if they woke up, hung over with a beer in their hand, hit their wife, got sloppily dressed, and then went to work with a bad attitude, moaning and groaning racist slurs on his way into work. You have no fucking clue. And people bring up the same argument for police officers every single time. Well, police officers go to work and they're in fear of their lives every single day too. They don't know if they're going to go home to their family at the end of every single day. Yeah, no shit. Police officers choose to be police officers. They chose to go into that profession. They knew what they were getting into. They know what they signed up for. And uh, quite frankly, I'm not really going to feel too bad about it. Especially when they're off taking lives every other day. The difference between me and a cop in this country is that after we've both had a long, hard day of facing abuse and harassment thrown at us by other people in this country, he gets to go home, throw his feet up, and take his uniform off. I can't go home and take my skin off. Blue lives do not exist in this country. Black lives do. And we have an obligation to fight for them, because at this point, it's getting embarrassing. Lastly, I just do want to take a quick minute to say that I am thinking of this girl. I am hoping and wishing that she is able to recover from the trauma that this moment burdened her with. I said it earlier in the episode, and I'll probably say it a ton more times in the future, but for Black people living in America, it is so intrinsically ingrained in our culture to fear the police and be afraid when it comes to interactions with the police and already expect violence in those instances. So not only is she going to be dealing with that, but she's also going to be carrying the burden of being tormented and being tortured and subjected to this pain at the hands of these police officers. And I just, I am truly and genuinely hoping that she's able to find peace with this. That got really intense, you guys. I'm sorry. I, that was also really long too. Oh, I'm so sorry. You guys just had to listen to me berate police for almost 23 minutes. Jesus. But I am going to try and just level the playing field a little bit. You just got some really heavy, really hard to listen to topics. And now I'm just going to talk to you about something stupid that you can shut your mind off and listen to. This is just going to be like me spewing the contents of my brain into a microphone. I kind of just want to talk about something. I have so many random thoughts throughout the day of things that I just think about. And I feel like it would help alleviate some of the pressure in my skull if I just came here and released some of them for you guys. So I was thinking about this earlier today. I feel like we should normalize, as a society, we should normalize saying um and like as filler words. I don't know why, as a society, we associate intelligence with filler words. I genuinely have no idea why we associate intelligence and the validity of someone's contributions on how many times they say um during a speech. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous to me. And it perpetuates so much toxicity within our school systems. I remember being in, like, high school, and teachers would berate you in front of the class during presentations if you said um or like too much. You would lose points on entire projects if you said um or like too much when you were presenting or speaking. 
That is so traumatizing for absolutely no reason. And I came to think of this because I was watching AOC's live stream and I'm gonna get into that a little bit because we also do need to talk about that. But I was watching AOC's live stream and she was saying um every couple of words and I don't think anyone was saying anything rude about it but I was just thinking to myself and this is completely how my mind works by the way like I just jump from topic to topic like my brain is a lemur on Adderall I just have no ability to just stay in one area like I just have to make connections that are completely bizarre but I was just thinking about the fact that she was saying um any other every other word and I was not questioning her intelligence or questioning the legitimacy of her story at all. And I just don't understand the societal stigma we have centered around filler words and saying filler words and why we question people's intelligence and why we question people's education if they just happen to say um or like, especially when it comes to extremely personal or highly emotionally taxing stories such as the one that AOC was telling us on her live stream. It is completely normal to have to take a little bit more time to gather your thoughts and think about what you want to say and think about how you want to present your emotions and explain your emotions to people. So I don't know, especially in those situations, I don't know why we normalize it. And at the same time, maybe this is maybe this is going to make me a snowflake leftist, a crazy leftist, whatever. But I also feel like it's really ableist and racist. I Maybe that's a bit of a reach, but I'm going to try to explain it to you guys. People who are neurologically disadvantaged will very obviously need a little bit more time to gather their thoughts whilst they speak, which I assume would automatically just result in a higher concentration of filler words in their sentences. Maybe, maybe that's just me. I'm kind of just going off of what I know about people who suffer from neurological issues or suffer from neurological disabilities, but that just seems like something that would be a no-brainer to me. And on the other side of that, on the side of why I think that would be an issue with racism is, one, people who don't speak English as a first language or who didn't speak English in the household growing up, I presume would just naturally need a little bit more time to gather their thoughts and think of the translations of what they need to say and the context of what makes sense and the verbiage and everything else because I am an English speaker. I, English is my first language and even I have a hard time speaking English sometimes. English is a hard ass language. And so I just don't know why we wouldn't cut people who don't speak this language as a first language some slack. And I don't know why we automatically just label them as unintelligent or unqualified for certain educational opportunities or certain position, career positions that do require intelligence and do require a high level of education and cognitive function. Because chances are that person probably knows all the same words you do, just in a different language. So I don't know why we constitute and evaluate someone's intelligence on how well they speak our language. That's just racist. And reason number two, I feel as though this perpetuates some kind of racism is because it puts an unfair disadvantage in the way of minority children or in general, just children who went to inner city schools or went to schools that maybe weren't as well funded. And as a near direct result of that, they did not receive a truly adequate education. So now they're going into the world with a less than subpar education in a society that berates you for something as stupid as the amount of filler words you use in a sentence. I just, I don't know. That was just a short little thought I had. And maybe that's just me. But I seriously don't understand why this is such a big deal. I don't understand why teachers and students and schools this is something they take points off for. I don't understand why potential hires or people who are giving you an interview are going to potentially look down on you because of how many times you say like in your sentence. This is, I don't know, this is just something I don't understand at all. And maybe you think I'm weird or maybe you agree with me. Either way, it was just something I had to get off my mind that I was thinking about today. <sighs> all right. Like I said earlier, I do also want to talk about the live stream that Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did towards the beginning of the week. I shouldn't need to talk about this because people shouldn't victim blame people when it comes to stories like these, but I'll get into it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, towards the beginning of this past week, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, better known as AOC, did a live stream on Instagram where she recounted some of the events and some of the traumas that she underwent 
during the Capitol riot on, the, on January 6th at the beginning of last month. If you do know what I'm talking about, then you already know that the live that she did was over an hour and a half long. So I'm assuming that even if you did watch some of it, you probably did not watch all of it, and which is completely understandable. It's an hour and a half. You most likely probably just watched little snippets that came up on your Twitter or Instagram feed and little segments that highlighted some of the more important parts of the video. But I actually did take the liberty of sitting down and watching all of it. I played it while I got dressed this morning, while I brushed my teeth, and kind of just in the background while I ate breakfast. And I listened to everything she had to say, every story that she gave, everything that she said. And by the end of it, the thoughts that came to my head were, I can't understand how anyone could even try to undermine or devalue anything this woman had to say. I'm obviously not going to spend all of my time. I'm obviously not going to spend the time to recount every single little thing she said within the 90 minutes. That would take me four freaking ever. But I am just going to give just like a rough gloss over of what she said if you didn't watch it, if you don't know what I'm talking about. So she started the live stream actually coming out and making the statement that she was a survivor of sexual assault. And she didn't just come out and say that for no reason. She came out and said it because she wanted to point out the fact that anyone who is a sexual assault survivor, anyone who's been a former victim of abuse, they should be able to see the fact that a lot of the tactics that Republicans and senators and Congress members in general are using to undermine what happened on January 6th are a lot of the same tactics that abusers use. And that's what she said. She said, you know, the gaslighting, the undervaluing your feelings, the saying that you need to apologize, that you did something wrong, that you're to blame for what happened to you. You, you need to get over it. What happened to you wasn't that bad. It's not that serious. You're making a big deal out of nothing. A lot of that is the same language that abusers use, and anyone who's been a survivor of abuse or sexual assault would know that, and that's what AOC was saying. And to that, I that was like less than 10 minutes in, I believe, and I was already completely captivated. I was already practically on my knees just ready to be so upset throughout this entire video because what what a heartbreaking and eye-opening and disturbing comparison that we have to compare our lawmakers and public officials to abusers because that's the same behavior they're eliciting. But that aside, she went on to go to talk about the weeks leading up and leading up to what happened on the 6th. And she basically came out and said that there were signs that Washington, D.C., the area around the Capitol, Capitol Police, officials, law enforcement, they were acting weird for about a week up before that they were talking about potential violence that could have occurred. They were talking about, oh, there's, you know, there's might be violence on January 6th. There's talks of people coming to Washington and people planning on halting or doing what they can to stop the certification of the election. And even AOC said that for a couple days before Wednesday, that the city was much busier than usual. There were a lot more sketchier people hanging out around the Capitol complex. She actually got haggled in her car one day by these people, and they were just shouting at her and accusing her of hating this country and just a bunch of... They were just harassing her, essentially. And that was kind of her recount that they should have seen this coming before now, that they should have done something sooner. She even said the Monday before January 6th, the Monday before that Wednesday, she said there was only one flimsy crowd control, like tin barrier set, uh, like one of those metal crowd control barriers you see at like concerts and stuff put up around the Capitol complex. And that was really it. And she said, well, well, it's only two days before. Maybe they'll put more up. Hopefully they'll put more up. And even the day before and on Wednesday morning, there really wasn't any more protection around the Capitol building. She then fast forward to Wednesday morning itself and she got there a little bit early. She got to her office a little bit early. So she actually got scheduled for her second COVID vaccine dose. 
and she talked about that and everything and there's actually a video of her actually getting that up on her Instagram as well. I'll link, I'm going to link the Instagram live stream in the description and then I'll also link the video of her getting her second vaccine dose because she does, she asks the nurse so many questions because apparently it did hurt a little bit more than her first dose and she didn't really know why so she just was asking a bunch of questions. She just, you know, and, you know, as she was sitting and waiting for the 15 minutes to be up so that she could leave and it was, it was a very informative video so I definitely will put that in the description as well. But anyways, that aside, and she went throughout her day and then she went on to talk about how she had one of her staffers there. Usually her staffers are working remote because of the pandemic, but when there's big votes, she does usually have just one of them come in just to help her out with stuff for the day. And she gives some more information about her day and just the little nuancey stuff that she was doing leading up to the events of January 6th. That stuff's not really important though, so I'm not really going to focus on it too much. And she said that she was actually looking for something to eat for lunch when she heard banging on her door, like boom, 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 like like someone trying to break the door down. They didn't identify themselves. They didn't say who they were, anything. And that went on for a little bit and she was, I mean, just imagine if you were sitting in your office trying to get work done before your biggest, probably your biggest vote of the month as a congressperson and someone starts to try and break your door down. And then that's when her staffer actually comes into her office and says, hide, hide, go hide yourself. AOC runs to the back of her office where there is a bathroom and there is a closet and she actually decides to hide in the bathroom. And she runs to the back of her office. She hides in the bathroom. Just as she decided that maybe the bathroom wasn't the right place to hide, she was gonna try and run across her office to a closet that was across the way. The person trying to break into her office actually gets in. And it was just one man, but he is yelling, where is she? Where is she? And she is just standing with her back against the bathroom door. She, she said she's never been quieter in her life. And then after a little bit, she said it was probably no more than a couple of seconds, but it felt like so long to her because obviously when you're in those situations, you lose all sense of time. But she didn't know how long it was. It was a little bit it was, but she didn't know how long it was. It was a couple of minutes probably and he was gone. And then her staffer actually knocked on the bathroom and said, come out, come out, come on. And she was with her staffer and there was a Capitol police officer outside of her office. And they said, just go to this building because the Capitol complex, she described it, that the do the big Capitol building that you see with the big dome on top, that is one building of the Capitol complex. There are several subsets of buildings and that's where everyone's offices are. That's where like food places and like food courts in the Capitol building are and like all that stuff. She, so he, so the Capitol police officer directed her to just go to one of the different buildings, like an undisclosed location, whatever. He didn't give them information on where they were going or what room they were hiding in, who they were trying to find, if they were trying to find anyone, where they should go, what parts of the building they should avoid to get there, where people were breaking in, what was going on, like gave them no information, did not tell them to bring any of their other things with them, did not tell them to bring anything important with them. And he just sent them to go. And so they were walking down to the building that he told them to and she was trying to find a room to get in. She was trying to find somewhere to hide and she said that she actually walked past Katie Porter's office and Katie Porter was coming back with a coffee. And as AOC, AOC said in her live stream that a lot of Congress members were at different levels of awareness because it was happening so fast. Like, I'm sure you guys remember getting the news that the Capitol had been stormed and the updates coming, like everything was happening so fast. I remember how overwhelmed I was that day and I wasn't even in the Capitol building that was being stormed. I couldn't imagine, but... She was saying how different Congress members were at different levels of awareness and Katie did not seem that Katie did not seem that concerned at all. So she just assumed she wasn't as informed on what was going on. AOC, you know, obviously was like, Katie, can I shelter in your office? Can I come to your office? And Katie was like, Yeah, of course. So they shelter in there. AOC tells them what happened, tell them everything. They barricade themselves in, they push desks and chairs up against the door. And AOC said, she said it felt like we were kids in a school shooting drill. We, I felt like how children in high schools probably feel, like when they have to do those barricading tests, like those Alice training drills. And then she went on to talk about how 
apparently the Capitol was police officer was supposed to tell them to bring their first aid kits, was supposed to tell them to bring, I believe they have like fume hoods in their office in case like toxic fumes get released into the building, in case there's an explosion, whatever. And especially because there had been explosive devices found nearby the Capitol complex, a lot of people were nervous that someone had actually planted a bomb in the building and that there was going to be an explosion for a little bit. And AOC was like, we didn't have those on us because he didn't tell us to grab that stuff. He didn't tell us, he didn't give us the right direction. And I missed this part, but AOC also apparently said that the Capitol Police officer that um, was supposed to direct them to safety was giving her it, the dirtiest look ever. He was, he looked so angry, like he was so angry at her. And it was a while after that AOC talked about some of the conversations her and Katie had, but those aren't super duper important, so I'm not going to get into them that, you know, people, Capitol Police started to knock on doors, National Guard members started to knock on doors and say that it was safe to leave people's offices and go retrieve your things and leave the building. And at the end of the live stream, she even said, and she pointed to Senators Joss Hawley and Ted Cruz and said, even if they came out and said, I didn't know where these lies would lead us, I didn't know they would lead us to this kind of violence, to this immensity of crime and destruction even if they came out and said that and say I do bear some responsibility for this I am a direct cause for this and my lies for the past three months have be have been a direct cause for these events and for that reason I rescind them the fact that they didn't even do that the fact that they don't even have the balls to at the very least come out and say yeah, we fucked up. This was this was our fault. And to just simply to prevent more death and destruction from happening. She said the fact that they didn't even do that is deplorable. Why? So because they want to run for office in four years? Because they want to be president in four years? That's despicable. So that was pretty much the gist of the live stream. And that was pretty much the gist of AOC stories. My first reaction to watching that live stream, my first reaction to when the live stream actually was done and people were talking about it and it was gaining traction on Twitter and Instagram and all other social media platforms was, I want to hear other people's stories. I want to hear the stories. And even AOC said in her live stream, there were other workers in there. There were staffers. There were custodians. There were people in there who genuinely, they didn't have offices. They didn't have places to hide. And I think it's only fair that their stories come out too. And she even said that a lot of the custodians in that building are black and brown people and immigrants. And I do want to, I think it's only fair that we pay attention to their stories just as much because if anything, if we think AOC's story is scary, if we think AOC's story is terrifying and a reason that we should take this more seriously, imagine the stories that they have to give. Imagine the stories that these people have to give. And with that being said, obviously we also need to hear other people's stories who are members of Congress. I think we need to hear Nancy Pelosi's story. I would love to hear what Mike Pence's story. I would love to hear what Mike Pence was experiencing and what he felt when he found out that his safety was compromised and that the Capitol was being stormed. I think it's so important for us to listen to all of these stories and to listen to the fear that people felt in these moments because it's it makes it harder for Republicans to do what AOC would, talked about. It's harder for Republicans and people who are administering these tactics of abuse to brush it off and say, oh, it wasn't a big deal. What happened to you wasn't a big deal. We need to just move on and unify. We can't punish Donald Trump for this. We need to unify the country. Okay, but people's lives were genuinely at risk. People's health and safety was genuinely at risk. And I, I, I hate that people are diminishing AOC's feelings. It's not a lot of people. A lot of people are supporting her. A lot of people are taking what she said at face value and really reckoning with it within themselves. But obviously there are Republicans, there are conservative lawmakers who are coming out and saying that, oh, what she experienced wasn't that bad. She's being a crybaby. It's not that big of a deal. Let's say that what she experienced wasn't a big deal. Let's say the actual events that she herself experienced in her office running throughout the Capitol building, let's say those events weren't actually that bad. 
they could have been. And I think that's the that's the disconnect that people have right now is they don't understand how bad this could have been. Even being in a situation where maybe your life is not inherently at danger, but even but being in a situation where your life could be, that enough is terrifying for people. Being in a situation where you could potentially have your life compromised, have your safety compromised. Even if it's not in direct threat, that's still terrifying. The fact that the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, the fact that they beat not one, but two different Capitol police officers to death with fire hydrants, flagpoles, rakes, and those weren't even the people that they were targeting. Those weren't even the people that they were angry at. Those were just people who were in their way. Those were just people who were preventing them from doing what they came there to do. Imagine if they had gotten a hold of Nancy Pelosi. Imagine if they had gotten a hold of Mike Pence. Imagine if they had gotten a hold of someone like AOC or any other congressperson of color or any other congressperson that had views that the election needed to be certified, that Donald Trump, that Donald Trump didn't win the election. Imagine what they would have done to any other congressperson who harbored those beliefs. I just, I, I hate that people are trying to undermine what happened on January 6th. They hate that people are trying to act like it wasn't that big of a deal and nothing bad happened. The most terrifying thing about people like this is that if they are incapacitated, if they aren't unable to carry out violence like this and inflict harm on other people when they want to, they will do it again until they're successful. And it's then that's why it's so frustrating that people are actually saying that we shouldn't punish Donald Trump, that we shouldn't convict Donald Trump, that we shouldn't punish every single person who stormed the Capitol that Wednesday is because if we let them go, if we show them that, hey, you can commit sedition and insurrection and get away with it. You can do anything and get away with it. You can go out of your way and spend three months trying to overturn a democratic, fair and free election and get away with it. You can look a crowd of people in the face and tell them to march down to our Capitol building and use whatever force is necessary to overturn an election that didn't go your way and get away with it. What, like, what message are we sending? What message are we trying to send? That democracy isn't important? That freedom isn't important? That all of the American ideals and the American values that Republicans claim to hold true to their heart don't matter to them or only matter to them when it's convenient? I'm, I just, I don't even understand the logic for people being like, oh, we shouldn't punish these people. We shouldn't punish Donald Trump. No, that's ridiculous. I don't accept that. We need to, because if we don't, if it's not him, it's going to be another Donald Trump. And his followers, his, the people who were willing to do the, all of this bullshit in the first place, they're willing, they're going to do it again. They're going to do it again until they're successful. They're going to do it again until they get their way. They're going to do it again until Donald Trump's our dictator president until he dies. These people are willing to do it again. They were willing to beat Capitol Police officers to death. They were willing to spit in the face of our democracy. They were willing to perpetuate lies against our country for the last three months. And that's another thing that I just think is so obnoxious about this whole situation, especially when you drag AOC's story into it, is people in general trying to diminish this. Put yourself in AOC's shoes. Put yourself, whether you don't even have to be a public official. You don't even have to be an elected official. You don't have to be a politician. Just imagine if you just wanted to go to work one day, whether you work in an office, whether you are a teacher who works in a school, whether you are a healthcare professional, whatever the case may be. Imagine you go to work one day. You go to sit down at your office. You're doing your job. And then your boss, who for years has been telling you that you never deserved that position, that you don't deserve to be there, that you're not competent enough to be there, has perpetuated racist lies against you for years, told you to go back to your country. Imagine your boss walks out to the front of your place of work, walks out to the front of your job, holds his arms out and encourages a group of people to enter the building that you are working in with the intent of inflicting harm on you and prevent you from doing your job. And you just wanted to go to work that morning. People have no ability to empathize. People have no ability to take themselves, take their situations and put themselves in someone else's shoes and take a second to sit back and say, hmm, I might not agree with this person on the most fundamental of issues. I might not identify with this person's political party, 
but let me just see this person as a human being for a second. Let me just see this person as another person and let me just resonate with them just based on that. Nobody is able to do that. Nobody is able to just see someone as another person who has feelings and emotions and was scared and deserves to be safe and loved and happy. That's it. That's all people need to do. It's not even that hard. I'm not, I'm not asking you to vote for her. I'm not asking you to donate to her campaign. I'm not asking you for you to support her. I'm not asking for you to pick it out on the streets with for her. I'm just asking you to not completely undermine and completely devalue every everything that she was feeling on that Wednesday. All of the fear that she was feeling on that Wednesday. Because I'd be terrified too. I could not imagine being in that situation. And I think if everyone just took a minute to put themselves in her shoes they'd feel the same way. They probably wouldn't even be able to imagine being in that same situation either. Anyways, happy Black History Month, you guys. We have now descended into the best and shortest month of the year, because I'm sure that wasn't a coincidence at all. If you want to do your due diligence in promoting Black creativity, then be sure to share this podcast with someone you know who you think enjoy it. Uh, I had so much more stuff I wanted to talk about this episode, but there's just, there's too much going on. There's too many crazy people. So be sure to tune in next week. I'm going to be talking about that absolutely insane Marjorie Taylor Greene woman that's in Congress now. Because apparently Congress is now an entry-level position for an involved elephant seal with brain damage because apparently this job is just open for anyone. I, uh, I have so much to say about that woman, but be sure to tune in next week to find out what it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, can't imagine why you did because it was absolutely miserable, but if you did for some odd reason, be sure to leave a rating and review. It helps me a lot. Also, be sure to interact with and follow me on all of my social media platforms. All of my handles are just at Jalen Tully. Also, I can't believe I haven't said this before, but if you are listening on Spotify, if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, it's actually hooked directly to my own personal Spotify account. So if you guys want to listen to any of the playlists that I have on my Spotify account, if you want to guys want to follow my Spotify, listen to and judge my music, feel free to do that. I can't believe I haven't said that before, promoted that before. But yeah, I don't think there's much more to say, you guys. Please, please, please be sure to leave this podcast always ready to educate often, learn freely, and love equally. That last part is so important. Take care, you guys.